This is Johnny Silva. I'm the pastor at Dilly First United Methodist Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith, and I hope it gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. There are some really great things about teaching. Some really great things about teaching. So one of the things that I really enjoy doing is um, introducing a new concept to, to the students. And then not only just introducing it, but having a little practice together um, so that I'm kind of leading them through this. And then I turn them loose to do their assignment for the day that helps me understand that they know what I've just said. And so when it works out like that, man, it is amazing. Because you see these light bulbs going off and you see that, that they're getting it and they're getting excited about it too because chemistry is not the easiest of subjects, but whenever they get it, man, they get excited about it. But you know that it doesn't always go that way, right? You know that you've done maybe the same thing and, and you do that another day and you get a different response. It might be even within the same day, within a different class period. You do the same thing and you expect the same response and yet you don't get that. You might get something to the effect of whenever it's their time to actually do this. Like, wait, what was that? What did you say? Wait, what are we doing? I don't get it. And sometimes whenever they say, I don't get it, I think that's just a response because I'm like, okay, what is it that you don't get? And then we'll explain that a little bit. But just saying, I don't get it, and oh, I don't know, I'm not going to do it. Well, that sort of stuff, that's one of those times it's not the bright moments in teaching. But again, you have both good and bad. And then with that, I think about some of the, the best coaches, the best teachers, the best people in my life that have kind of inspired me. And I think about several. And one of them <clears throat> was a professor in, whenever I was at UTSA and taking all different types of biology and chemistry classes and it was organic chemistry. And I think about how easy, and again, organic chemistry is not easy, but this is organic chemistry too. And he actually made it so simple and he was uh, from Russia and he had this accent and he would write this up on the board and he'd be like, yes, it is this easy. I'm not lying to you. And so we're like, really? Can it be that easy? And it was. I was like, wow, this is great. I'm, I want to be able to explain something so well that it seems easy. And then I had other professors that were great. And I had many professors that were great at SMU in Dallas uh, when I was at Perkins School of Theology. And there were some great professors. I had um, Dr. Harold Racinos who kind of helped me understand something about the church and the social context. And then I had Dr. Uh, William Abraham who was part of the Southwest Texas and then the Rio Texas Conference for a while. Um, he's no longer with us, but he was a very, very influential person in, in my life. Um, he really got back to the basics. He was what you would consider somebody that um, is more orthodox in his thinking. And again, uh, I think back to those people that have accents. He was from the Irish bogs, as he said. And 
it was very interesting when he said certain things because um, it just made it sound so much cooler. Um, but then there was this one professor and of all of the teachers and coaches and professors that I've ever had, this by far was the best teacher. And his name was, uh, is um, Dr. Roy Heller. And he taught Old Testament. And as you probably noticed, I like to go back to the Old Testament because the New Testament cannot really be unless there's an Old Testament, right? And so there's what we refer to as the, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Covenant, the New Testament. But he was just one of those inspirational speakers. And he drew you in to where you were hanging on his every word. And he was so good, in fact, that there would be people that had had him in the past, um, had Old Testament in the past, or even they were preachers and they came back to hear certain lectures because he was that good. Especially whenever he talked about Jonah or Yonah, right? So he was one of those great teachers and I could not get enough of his teaching. So he taught Hebrew. So I was like, well, I think I can uh, do this. And, and it was not a big lecture thing. It was only about eight people or so. But on Fridays, we learned Hebrew for um, a good amount of time. And, and it just opened things up for me. But again, I think back to that type of teacher where he inspired me, where he made me want to be better. And I was hanging on his every word and I wanted more. And think about you. Think about where you have been in your lives and those influential people in your lives. Those coaches, those mentors, those teachers, maybe professors. But who has been so influential in your life that you didn't want to let them down? You were hanging on their every word. You couldn't get enough of what they were saying. And that it was influencing you in such an impactful way. Think about those people. And then also think, that they probably said, had to say things over and over and over, the same things over and over and over till maybe we started to get it. And then I think that as parents, <laughs> I know that I've said things countless times to my, uh, to my sons and uh, maybe they just don't hear it. Maybe they don't want to hear it, but yeah, pick up the, the, your room, for some reason, it just gets lost in translation. Um, take out the trash, gets lost in translation. But whenever we don't want them to hear stuff, they're actually paying attention. I'm like, okay, why don't you listen to what I want you to instead of what I don't want you to? So I really have to be careful about what I say about them and around them. Now, um, that was a Freudian slip there. But um, I do want to say that there are... There are so many influential people in our lives. And sometimes, sometimes we get to the point where we are receiving this information and now it's our turn. And sometimes we don't feel confident and maybe we thought we knew it. And then when it comes down to it, we really don't know where to go from here. But sometimes the most simple of things can be the hardest things to actually do. We know it in theory, but in practice, we need some help.
So I think about this and I, I know that where we are now is at a kind of crossroads of sorts where there is an old way of thinking and maybe old way of doing things. And now we are moving into a new way of doing things. Now I'm talking about the new year. I'm also talking about the new opportunity that is before us. As many of you know, we did vote to disaffiliate for uh, from the United Methodist Church and now join the Global Methodist Church. So there is something new there. Now we don't know what that future is going to hold, but we are trusting that God is going to lead us and guide us and empower us and equip us to be faithful servants. And we know that we can't do it on our own. So we look back to some of the the best teachers and the, and the best um, orators and those that were influential in life. And we look to the one that was the best teacher, Jesus. And so for today, we look back to um, Matthew chapter 28 and it's verses 16 through 20. And you might also know this as a great commission. But a little backstory here. Before we get there, we know that up to this point, what has happened? Well, Jesus has had his earthly ministry and he's had um, that night where he was betrayed and he taught him one last thing and he taught him the, the, um, that it's good not only to be um, served, but more importantly, to serve others. And he did that as the Son of God. Even the Son of God has come not to be served, but to serve. He taught him that. And he taught him about the, the Last Supper and what it might mean for him. This is my body. This is my blood. And what it could mean for them. And then he taught him something so incredible when he took on the sins of the world and he was betrayed and now hanging on a cross. And he's saying, I love you this much. Everything I have. I'm giving so that you might have life. He taught him again and again and again. And now, now this is where we pick it up. At the very tail end, and this is the last thing that is said from Jesus to the disciples, to us in the book of Matthew. And it starts off in this way, in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now this is important that it first starts off with saying, Now the eleven disciples. Now if you're doing the math, yes, there was once twelve disciples, but you know as well as I do, what happened to the twelfth one? That was Judas. He betrayed Jesus. And with that, he was forfeiting his identity as disciple, as apostle. And the eleven who remained have actually been made disciples through the testimony of the women who proved more faithful than they were. So let me back up and pick that apart just a little bit. So again, they had been with Jesus for at least three years. They had been hearing everything that he had said, all of his teachings, all those late-night conversations. 
those heart-to-heart conversations, and they saw him do miracles. They saw him do things that nobody else was doing and nobody else dared do. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. He did things that were countercultural, and he was teaching them all the time. And he was doing things with them and encouraging them, equipping them to see, hey, I can do this too. But when it came time for it, they all abandoned him. When in his greatest hour of need, they abandoned him. So again, they are disciples, but it was because of that link. And we talked about this, I don't know if you remember, but we talked about this last Easter, whenever the first disciple, I'm sorry, the first person that brought the good news, gospel bearers, evangelians, evangelists, were the women. The one that were at the tomb. And they brought the good news to the disciples who were hiding out because they were afraid. And that is what helped them understand what actually happened. They were the ones that brought them the good news that Jesus is not dead, that he is alive. And that that makes all the difference in his life, in our lives, in their lives. Everything that he had taught them, everything that he said was going to happen, happened. And now they are receivers of this message and they become disciples. They are being made into disciples. And I find it interesting that these 11 people still are thought of as you of little faith. This is a community in which worship and doubt coexist. And as such, their commission, their mission, should they choose to accept it, now depends on the authority of Jesus and not their own. And thank God for that. Because if it was just up to them, well, we know that we always fall short of the glory of God. But it wasn't on their own authority. It was on the authority of Jesus. And that makes all the difference. There's some weight lifted off a little bit, I think. But then we go forward and maybe into a little bit more familiar part of the text. And this is in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Just as the eleven have been made disciples, they are now called to make disciples. And again, this is where everything starts to grow exponentially. Because first you had Jesus who was teaching and creating and making disciples who then were going to create and make disciples who then were going to create and make disciples. It is expanding exponentially. And there was an intention of that from the very beginning. No longer were they limited to their ministry just to Israel. The disciples are now called to go out into the world and to spread the gospel message, to build the kingdom of Jesus, and to preach and to teach and to make disciples of all nations. Now again, they were comfortable in their home. They were comfortable with what they knew. And they were able to teach and to preach and to spread the gospel message 
where they were. But now they were called to go to the ends of the earth until the whole world hears the good news. That's their mission. That's their commission. And here we see that for one to become a disciple, this is what has to happen. You have to be baptized into a community of people who worship Jesus as the very Son of God. Not just maybe, but definitely the Son of God. And this is an affirmation that then leads to being now able to call God by a new name. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whenever one is baptized, uh, in the way that, that we've been brought up in this tradition, <clears throat> we took on a new name. And it was no longer, like for me, Johnny Silva. My, that Silva was a name given to me by, or it was a, a family name, right? But as a Christian, baptized by the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our new name, our new last name, the family that we belong to now is Christian. And so that's the way that people were introduced. That was part of their identity. Their last name that was given to them as a, as a family member, they have a new family now. And their family is a Christian family. And so they must also not only be baptized, but they must be trained in the obedience to fulfill the will of the Father by living in accord with the commandments as taught and interpreted by Jesus. So there's two different things that are happening that must happen in order for one to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have to be baptized. And you also have to be trained and follow. Be obedient to what Jesus has taught. So this is who will be the new faith community what has in Greek referred to as ecclesia or ecclesia. We now refer that refer back to that as, as church. And if you think about it in terms of Spanish, iglesia sounds a lot like ecclesia, right? And that is Spanish for church. But maybe a more apt definition of that would be something like this. Gathering those summoned or called. In the Greek understanding of that, that's what the church was. There was not really a name of church. It was the gathering of those who were called or those who were summoned. That's what they knew. And so, is that not a disciple? Those that are called by God, not only to be a disciple, but to make disciples. So Jesus' ecclesia will be one of inclusion. And I use that word intentionally, but not in the sense that it's been, I want to say this is a harsh word, but maybe hijacked a little bit by some that have a different objective on things. But an inclusive one, one that thinks about everybody as welcome into here, into here God's word. And so it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter even if you're Christian. It doesn't matter your, your creed or anything like that. Everybody is invited to hear the power of God's word, the life-changing God's word. The very word of Jesus is powerful.
Everybody should hear that. And so it is one of inclusion, and it's also one of an ethical community of worshiping doubters. And I say that because there was something full of this knowledge that in order to be a follower of Jesus, you had to have it all figured out. You had to have no questions about your faith whatsoever. But that's not reality. I mean, we come across some very, very difficult things in our lives that we just can't explain, and we don't know how or where to look for help. And I mean, if we're human, we're going to have doubt. But that doesn't mean that we still can't have faith. You can live in an existence where there is faith and doubt at the same time, but as long as we do not stop believing in the power and presence of Jesus Christ in our lives and what that can do and how that can change our lives and the people around us. And so there is an existence for where we are now in this gathering of those that are called that yes, we can still have doubt and still have faith. It doesn't mean that we are any less than. It just means that we are becoming better. And so with this, this is a church that was founded by those women, those first evangelists. A church that is considered, that considers little children to be the most important of its members. A church that actually specializes uniquely in making room in its gathering and at the table for sinners, tax collectors, outcasts, everybody that is unwanted, you have a place here. You have a place here. This is the community that is being formed by making disciples. And so it doesn't end there. Here's that very last part. And let us not forget this part. And remember, Jesus says, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Even to the end of the age. Now, as if all of this were not enough, Jesus, knowing his disciples, knowing his followers, his friends, his family, this motley crew, this band of brothers, he knows them so well, and so he does what he knows he needs to. He reassures and he promises them that he will always be with them. He will always be with us, no matter what. And so this is a time where it's not just God through Jesus Christ saying, you got to do this. All right, you got it? All right, I'm going to go. It's kind of like that, but at the same time, there's this reassurance. Jesus sees these disciples. And he says, I know you don't think as much of yourself as I do. And I know you don't see yourself the way that I do. I know you don't think you have everything that you need in order to follow this mission and this commission. But I'm here to reassure you that you do. You have everything. I have taught you. I've been with you. I've showed you. We've done this together. Now it's your turn. You can do this. I believe in you. And if you believe in me and you trust me, you will know that you have everything that you need. 
And so where does that leave us? Jesus, again, the all-time best teacher, best inspirer, best orator that has ever graced the face of this earth, did the very best, everything he possibly could. But just as he had done all of this, his students, his disciples, still didn't get it. Not fully, anyway. And again, that's, that's part of the struggle of being a teacher is, or, or even a, a preacher sometimes, even a, a person that is coaching or inspiring or mentoring. It is very tough when you're doing everything that you can possibly do so that these students, these disciples, that they get it and that they can actually put it into action. And it's so frustrating sometimes because we do everything short of doing it for them. Everything short of doing it for them. But we can't do that. But we do everything leading right up to that. And again, Jesus did that exact same thing. He taught them. He was with them. He showed them how to do that. They did it together. He was showing them what it meant to be a disciple maker. And they had everything that they needed and more. But they weren't very confident about it because he was leaving them. They're like, I, I don't know if I can do this. And he's like, yes, you can. And you know what? Even though I'm leaving you and you can't see me, I'm always going to be with you even until the end of the age. Even until time is no more. Meaning that there is never a time where I will not be with you. I will always be with you. I will always be for you. I will always inspire you and empower you and do everything I possibly can short of doing it for you. So trust me. And eventually, eventually disciples did get it. And after about the hundredth time of Jesus repeating himself over and over and over again, they finally got it, I think. Because here we are, right? Because of what they did, because they did make disciples who made disciples who made disciples. We are here in this place talking about what happened over 2,000 years ago because somebody was able to do what Jesus asked them to do. Jesus is asking us now. It's our turn. It's your turn to make disciples. Again, what does it take to make a disciple? Well, you have to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all the commandments that Jesus has given them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It comes down to those two things. But it is our turn. Now, what I want to say is that regardless of your age or station in life, at any given time, we could be students and we could be teachers. We could, we could be mentors and we could be mentees. Again, it doesn't matter your age or your station in life. This is the reality. If you're willing, it is our turn now. We must go 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. But let me relieve some of this pressure. It might seem like a little much, but this is what you were created for. And you know what? You don't have to be perfect at it. You really don't. You don't even have to be good at it. You just have to start. You just have to start doing it. And the more you do it, the better you get. Because it's all about the mission and the commission of Jesus Christ. So start here. Start amongst one another. Start with your family. Start with your friends. Start with the people that you see on a regular basis. But for heaven's sake, for our sake, start. Start today. Don't wait. Like the time is now. The kingdom of God is near. Let's do it now. We must keep moving forward. We must go onward on this Christian journey. This is the next step. Is knowing how hard it is to become a disciple. But then doing the same thing. Spreading the gospel message by actually creating disciples ourselves of Jesus Christ. We are building a community of believers. We are building the kingdom of God on earth. We are expanding God's kingdom here and now with everything that we do and sometimes in spite of us and in spite of the things we do. But again, we do not need to fear. We do not need to feel like we are ill-equipped. We do not need to feel like we are less than or not able to or up to the task because we are. We were created for this. God has been preparing us for this from the beginning of time. And we hear about it every single Sunday and we read about it in scripture. But now is the time to actually put our faith into practice and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we do not need to fear, for Jesus has promised us that he will always, always be with us, even until the end of the age. I thank God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for this opportunity to expand his kingdom, and I know that we could do this together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There's a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And please share this message with friends and family to help us spread the gospel message. And thanks again for joining us on Dilly First United Methodist Church podcast. Blessings.